Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for coming over to Satiate today, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I am Sue Van Rays, your host and founder of Boulder Nutrition here in Boulder, Colorado, where I specialize in women's health, functional nutrition, digestive repair, and food psychology. I also lead women's wellness retreats both locally and internationally. You can find out all about my work at bouldernutrition.com. It's such a great pleasure today for me to have a special guest. I love having special guests on the podcast. And I recently was introduced to today's special guest, Lentine Alexis. And I'm really excited that you're here joining us. Thank you so much, Sue. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to have you. Lentine Alexis is a curious, classically trained chef, cookbook author, and former professional endurance athlete. She uses her bicycle, raw life, and travel experiences, as well as organic ingredients to inspire everyone to dig deeper live bigger, and more deliciously through food. Before Lentine became a classically trained chef, she spent nine years as a professional endurance triathlete and yoga instructor, living in Asia, Europe, and the United States, and cultivating a career in international diplomacy. As she found herself in foreign environments, she also encountered foreign definitions of what it meant to fuel life and sport. Her approach to feeding her body and soul was forced to adapt as well. Lentine became fascinated with the way that cooking and eating real food made her feel in her training and racing, and she felt a monumental shift in her well-being as an athlete and as a person in the world. She soon found that the work she longed to do through policy couldn't shine a candle to the kind of change she imagined in the world. If we all turned our focus to sharing, enjoying, connecting, and exploring through food. Today, she takes an Ayurvedic approach to creating recipes, menus, and ideas that fuel athletes and adventures for everyone. She writes, speaks, and activates ideas, inspiring healthy lifestyles all over the world. She also shares her pastries and treats and cooking and recipes with others and has worked with companies like Scratch Labs to develop delicious products and craft experiences that fuel the body and soul. This work reminds her always that challenge and opportunities in disguise and that she has tools to take on whatever comes her way. She strives to serve her work as tools for you to fuel your adventures in mind, body, spirit, and soul. That can remind you that the world is your oyster and that it's not a bad thing to come hungry. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Not a bad thing to come hungry. What a great line in your bio. Thank you. Well, (laughs) I'm excited to have a really dynamic conversation with you. We have a lot in common. And we see food and life as these beautiful ingredients that can really fuel our well-being and our inspiration Mm. and our souls. And I'm really excited to hear more about you and how you show up in the world with this mission. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the beginning and how you decided to become a classically trained pastry chef and where it led you from there. Yeah. In the beginning, (laughs) in the beginning, I was living in on a remote island in southern Japan. My partner was in the military and I had um, deferred a graduate education in international diplomacy to to move there with him and to be with him there. And I'd always been an athlete and um, was really thankful for that background, excuse me, because when we arrived to the island, I learned that I wasn't going to be able to get a job as a military wife there. I was, um, the way that visas work in that particular situation just didn't, didn't allow for me to work as a aspiring diplomat. So I started running and riding and training and 
and using the bike to explore this little island that we lived on. And the more I explored, the more I found little pockets that were fascinating to me and I interacted with people and, and ultimately became more brave is, was the point that I kind of came out of my shell and found this amazing place that was right at my doorstep and realized that I couldn't wait for anybody to serve it to me. I was going to have to go and, and get it. And, um, bike ride built on bike ride, long run built on long run. And the military community is very energetic and athletically driven. And so there were constantly like marathons and triathlons and all sorts of stuff that they were sponsoring. And I signed up for one such event and um, unexpectedly won the event, which spit me into another event. And that spit me into another event. And I won those two events <laughs> because again, I'm a you know 25 year old person with nothing to do but run and ride around this island. So I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, and that last win landed me on um, competing on the world stage. I became a, basically a professional triathlete overnight. And it wasn't something I was looking for. It was just something that happened. Um, and it was all this exploration that dropped me there, um, which was pretty cool. It was cool to be able to have that as an outcome. It felt like a really neat reward. And I was training. Once I was once I was in that circuit and training for Ironman and training for you know these kind of crazy uh, adventure races and endurance challenges, I was training about thirty hours a week and had all of the cravings for all of the carbohydrates and I was just hungry all the time. Ultimately, when you're training that hard um, and that long in the heat, and I started experimenting with local ingredients that actually my neighbors were dropping off. I lived in this super cool little neighborhood. We lived, not just me, but my partner and I lived in this amazing little community by the ocean. It was, a, there were a bunch of potters and artists that lived in our neighborhood and they all had gardens. And they recognized quickly that I was alone a lot of the time and so they would drop vegetables wrapped in newspaper on my porch. And so I started trying to cook with them and I'd always been a very curious cook and some, some experiments were, better outcomes than others. <laughs> but the one thing I couldn't crack really was how to bake because they don't use the same types of leaveners in Japan. They don't use the same types of flours in Japan. I could find rice flour very readily, but I didn't know how to use it. And what I really, really longed for were like muffin tops and cake. And I knew that I could use sort of healthy ingredients to make these things, but I just didn't understand the science of making the swap. So, um, we lived on that island for five years. And so that was a lot of time exploring and playing and cooking. And when we finally left, I enrolled in a baking and pastry program at Le Cordon Bleu and studied as a pastry chef and came to understand the science quickly of how to um, substitute for a variety of different diets and really understood the, the science of pastry and baking as well as the science of just general cuisine. Um, and I loved the work. I was so fascinated and so fulfilled by the idea that I would go out and go for a big bike ride or a big run and come up with some crazy idea for what I wanted to bake and come home to the kitchen and activate it. Um, and that was where my curiosity really, really was, I was really, really piqued with that combination of things. Um, needless to say, when you ex excel at a culinary program at this particular school, you get spit into an excellent culinary program as a profession. And I sort of followed that breadcrumb trail and ended up working as a pastry chef in, um, in a two-star Michelin restaurant in Los Angeles, um, running an eight course dessert tasting menu program and making chocolates and ice creams and using all sorts of crazy compounds to build art on the plate. And it was a really magical time, but it also was a time completely devoid of any activity outside. I was working from something like 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. and I wasn't getting outside. I wasn't getting inspired by the seasons or the smells or the sights or the people or the ingredients. I was just in it. Um, and so I quickly realized that working as a pastry chef in that capacity wasn't going to work for me very well. And I left and felt kind of like kind of a failure, honestly, because I had all these great skills and all this passion, but I didn't really know how to apply them. And this was in a time when um, the culinary world was a very different landscape. There were not very many women in kitchens. Um, it was a much more harsh environment. We've all heard about a lot of the things that transpired in that environment. And there was no place in, in the culinary world for an athlete chef or a hyphenated athlete chef. 
So I started writing recipes for my own blog and was racing for Cliff Bar at the time and did a little bit of fun work on that team, you know, working with the chefs at Cliff Bar and waxing on ideas. But the real breakthrough that happened in fusing my athletic and culinary worlds was when I met Alan Lim at a race. Um, I'd had a bike crash at, uh, in California on a race course and um, he found out about this crash and kind of came and hunted me down and he was like, I think you need a race cake and a burrito and some, you know, some of this amazing drink mix that we're making. And um, Scratch Labs at the time was the only real food based sports nutrition company in, in the nation and maybe even in the world. And Alan is a renowned exercise physiologist and has worked with athletes at the peak of sport. Um, and he was like, you know, is asking me a few questions about myself. And I told him I was a pastry chef, a chef and his whole face lit up because he's like, I really need a pastry chef because I really need somebody to make me a cookie. So at the time, what he wanted to do was to kind of throw a big middle finger at the sports nutrition industry and all the packaged bars and packaged products that are available. He wanted to showcase the fact that a cookie is, a, is an energy bar without any of the preservatives or extra ingredients or dissected protein powders and that sort of thing. And that was the first project that we did together was we created a cookie mix that athletes could mix themselves with the ingredients that they wanted. They could make it vegan. They could substitute in whatever it was that, that piqued their interest. And, um, and that was our answer to an energy bar. And from there, I went on to be the culinary director of that, of, uh, at, at Scratch running. Um, we had an 18 foot food trailer where we would push it around the country and cook for world tour athletes and, athletes of all walks and I got to test a lot of principles um, a lot of my own experiential evidence that real food is an exceptional is exceptional fuel the best fuel for bodies in motion and I got to marry that with the scientific knowledge that Alan has he's really a pivotal person in my life and in my um, in my career and kind of solidifying the hunches that I have into into facts um, and so that sort of planted me firmly in sports nutrition and about six, not quite, not six years ago, it's now about, about five years ago, I left scratch and left out on my own and now develop recipes and menus and curate experiences and help create products and concept ideas for companies in the sports nutrition world, but also in the general food world and for companies in the sport, outdoor and adventure industries that want to bring food and experience to life together. Wow. That, that's, that's the nutshell. Quite, that's the quite a story and how many amazing like phases that you've explored in your journey that have brought you here. It was many, it was circuitous for sure, but it was very worthwhile. I have people ask often actually like, cool, how did you get, like, what's the path that I follow? <laughs> to do what you do. And I'm like, well, good luck recreating any of those things. Cause it was all very much being at the right place at the right time. And, and ultimately just being very um, committed to the idea and determined that real food is better than anything else out there. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you and that I love uh, after reading some of your content in your Instagram is that you mention adventure and unbridled joy are also ingredients. So I would love to hear a little bit more about this, which just lights me up as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really foundational principle of the way that I cook and the way that I eat and the way that um, I create recipes and menus for other athletes and just for people in the world. Like my, my work is not limited at all to only athletes. Um, and, you know, it stems from the idea that literally everything we consume becomes us. So if we eat a microwave burrito, we become a microwave burrito. If we eat, <laughs> if we eat too much cake, we become too much cake. If we eat, you know, a undersalted, overcooked piece of chicken breast, we become that thing. And all of that, you know, those gross shapes that I described um, in, in terms of energy come right down to the fact that our bodies take the raw natural energy and the foods that we consume and turn it into power for ourselves. And the, and a, a part of our nourishment that we rarely account for are the experiences and the emotions that we're devouring at the same time. 
the idea that the way that we're cooking our food really matters. The way that we are sourcing our food really matters, whether it's an energy rich ingredient or an energy poor ingredient. And um, I've watched many, many athletes over the years resign themselves to super strict diets that uh, restrict calories or restrict specific food groups because we've labeled them as good or bad. And that's not actually on the food, that's on us. And the unfortunate part about the way that those labels fall is that so often foods that we label as bad are foods that bring us a lot of joy. And that means that as we're fueling for greatness in whatever our days may hold, we're also not fueling with joy, which is a real problem um, and doesn't lead to peak performance, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're an aspiring entrepreneur or you're an, an Olympian on the route to gold. Like joy is something that we need more of. And the adventure piece is, is also a really potent ingredient because our foods, especially in modern times, can be so varied. The idea that we would eat in the same lane all the time or that we would eat, say, tomatoes year-round instead of exploring the cornucopia of things that are available to us on a seasonal basis here in Colorado, but also all over the world, you know, that sparks us. It introduces us to new flavors that our bodies crave and that creates food memories and real experiences when we gather around the table to enjoy our meals. So, um, you know, my own personal experience is that when you put me into a kitchen with some of the most beautiful ingredients on the planet, but sucked away the joy, I was a very shriveled and unhappy person. <laughs> and the more and more, you know, going back to that story about being on the, you know, being in Okinawa and riding my bike around, some of the, one of the pieces that I didn't explain was that as I would be riding through these super cool villages, I would run into people who were fishing or collecting seaweed or had just plucked their harvest from the ground. And um, they would see this woman dressed in clad, like spandex and be like, first of all, how did you get out here? And second of all, are you okay? <laughs> and can we share some, can, you look like you need a snack. Can we share something with you? And those memories, the way that, that you know, those pieces of sashimi tasted with shiso leaf and a tiny bit of soy while eating it on the side of, you know, a, a seawall are some of the most poignant memories I have in my entire life. And those individuals and those foods were what kept me in a lot alive in a very, very dark and lonely time. Um, and the more I allowed the nourishment of that place and that people to happen, the more prowess I gained. Uh, and it had nothing to do with the foods I was leaving out. It had everything to do with the foods I was bringing in mm -hmm. and the real rich cultural experiences that I was allowing myself to have to include big fat, fat pork, you know, belly <laughs> strips in ramen bowls. You know, that was not what an athlete was meant to eat, but it was what my body wanted and it was what my prowess needed. Mm. It's so intriguing to me. And one of my passions as well, traveling and learning to eat like the people where I go. And I just totally yeah. relate to what you're saying. It's, it's a profound entry point into a culture mm -hmm. and the hearts of the people. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's like a universal thing, sharing food with yeah. people we love or people we want to get to know better. And doing that with people across different cultures can just be for me, just feed my soul so much. Totally. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all nature, right? Like nature looks a little bit different in our place than it looks in another place. And so it's really just allowing nature to be its, its own thing and to embrace the beauty of whatever that manifests itself as in the place that we're at. It's, it's especially when you you know, add to it, moving around under your own power with your own sweat. Like there's something that just happens. It's really solidifies something that way. Totally. I so agree. So let's move into this location where we are now. And yeah. I know that the season is changing as we record this podcast mm -hmm. and the holidays are in full tilt and <laughs> <laughs> eggnog, 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 just kidding. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, a lot of people get stressed out at this time of year regarding yeah. food, but also regarding just gathering. And obviously right now we're still mid pandemic. So that's even become more tricky um, mm -hmm. with stress we're under and some of the restrictions 
restrictions we're under as far as getting together with people we love. So it's definitely an interesting season right now that we're heading into. And I'd love to hear from you, like your wintertime go-tos. And I know you incorporate some of the Ayurvedic principles and the six tastes, which I also relate to and love so much. Um, we can get mm -hmm. into those in a few moments, but kind of in a, you know, in a wintry warming time, let's talk about eating here in Colorado and in other places where we have share similar climates around the country and the world. What do you recommend? And what do you yeah. want to cook with at this time of year? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I moved, I was born and raised in Boulder and then moved away for a long time, obviously, and, and, and came back from California, in fact. So I'm one of those transplants. <laughs> I'm, I'm both a Colorado, a Boulder native and a, a California transplant. And I am so in love with the bounty that we have here in Colorado through the winter. And, and I think that's something that becomes overlooked because um, it's, we're not as recognized as other states for our phenomenal agriculture. But but I lean super hard through the winter on hearty greens that we can get here from our local farms, pumpkins and squashes. And we have really beautiful um, like beets and carrots and turnips and um, a lot of here in Boulder Valley, a lot of our farmers have greenhouses set up to keep even tender greens, but also fresh herbs that they're growing. Potatoes are something that are, that are on bounty. And I really, I really try to stick with what's in season here. I would say probably, probably through the winter, 90% of what we're eating around my house is from, is from Boulder County. Um, every once in a while, obviously I'll run to the store and get broccoli, which is maybe not growing here, cauliflower or something like that, or, you know, pick up oranges and, or you can, you know, persimmons are huge. Like I love persimmons and avocados. Um, but through the winter, I really believe that eating warming foods and eating cooked vegetables because they're hearty root vegetables is the best thing for my body. And especially since I'm in motion a lot, you know, um, the season shifts to winter, but my activities don't actually shift that much. I'm still riding. I'm still hiking a lot. Now I'm skiing, which is a very, you know, uh, energy intensive endeavor. And in Ayurvedic medicine, it, there's this thought of balance all the time. And really the, you know, the three qualifiers of Ayurvedic health or ultimate well-being in Ayurveda are that we stay connected to the senses, that we stay connected to the seasons, and that we stay connected to ourselves, really our deep seed of who we are and what our bodies need. And um, that first one, of, or I guess it's really the second one about the seasons is is super important and recognizing that the senses get bombarded with cold. All of the, you know, here in Colorado, we've got pretty cold winters. And if we're playing outside, all of the heat goes directly into the center of our bodies. It's not in our extremities. It's in our core. It's in our, our Agni is high. And um, if we continue to move through the winter as active people, or if we have still strenuous schedules like the holidays and like general work and just life right now would indicate our bodies don't have the extra energy to burn through hearty greens in raw salad form. <laughs> Salads are really difficult for us to digest when it's kale or spinach or collards or something along those lines, raw beets, you know, shredded root vegetables that haven't been cooked. So I use, I, I basically throw like a big squash into the oven a couple times a week and roast that down and make soups or use the instant pot to make stew and throw tons of greens in there. I even have a recipe for like strictly green soup. That's like mm. spinach and kale. And I think there's like celery root and a few other things in there. So I'm definitely getting my greens, but, um, but cooked, warming, soothing vegetables, usually sweet flavors and sometimes pungent flavors that will kind of stoke our digestive fire are all the things I really crave. And, and that, you know, it's a very short period of time when my, my body wants just that. And before long spring comes, and then we have beautiful perky greens that want to be eaten raw again. So, um, yeah, I sort of just lay into it and eat all the pumpkin and <laughs> think of all the creative ways I can layer beets and root vegetables. And yeah. It's, uh, something about that really like fills me, not just 
on a appetite level, but there's something when I was just making Thanksgiving dinner last week, getting, I made a whole bunch of roasted root vegetables and I made a squash soup and, you know, all these different ways to warm and nourish through Mm -hmm. the roots and through the spices and through the flavors. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the flavors from you if you're up for that, because I know that there is some beautiful wisdom in the Ayurvedic tradition around the six flavors and also how they work together in different ways, how they balance each other, how they can really match our energetic needs and qualities within ourselves as well. And I know you recently wrote a blog about the six tastes, and I'm sure that the listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that and how we can implement those into our cooking and into our awareness as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, Ayurveda is amazing in this way because, you know, in terms of like modern modern American cooking, we cook for enjoyment, but we, and we don't necessarily cook for um, energetic or overall well-being. But what's crazy about the idea that flavors have nutritive value, which they do, each of the six flavors that we can perceive actually has, indicates a food that benefits our bodies in a specific way. And the more flavors we incorporate, the more we get to benefit from all those different types of foods, which is a really like, if you like to cook, it's a really breakthrough idea of going, great, how do I mix and match all of these six elements to keep me, you know, really vibrant? Um, That said, Ayurveda is also also the science of balances, right? Like balancing all of life. So, so, um, you know, with respect to like what we would eat when, it's very logical that in a cold winter season, we would focus on um, slowing down, eating foods that help us to slow down. We're, you know, through this season, we're not thinking about moving, acting, jumping, like being super um, explosive in our movements. We're rekindling, we're grounding, we are preparing for deep winter, we're resting, and foods that inspire that rest is is what we're all about. So, but I was also going to add, this is, wintertime is also a great time to add locally sourced meat and cheese to your diet if you're going, if you, if you enjoy those things, because those things are very grounding. Um, and perhaps you'd eat less of that in a season when you are eating lighter because they're rather heavy. Um, with respect to this, with respect to the flavors in the winter, excuse me, um, we would be looking for flavors specifically or bolstering flavors that help us to ground and sweet is the number one flavor that helps us to ground. It nourishes our tissues. It helps to, um, really like add moisture all over our bodies in terms of like, you know, if you think about your nose gets dry in the wintertime, like eating sweet flavors will help to protect against sickness. It helps with inflammation. It helps to, you know, soothe our nervous systems and our, and our lymph systems to clean out. And, um, so, and the sweet things that I'm thinking of most in this season are things like pumpkin, root vegetables are sweet, carrots are sweet, beets are sweet. Um, obviously sweeteners like honey and maple, all grains are sweet as well. Um, and things like apples and pears, of course, are sweet. So when we have a sweet craving, it's really interesting because that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing something bad. We're not only craving a cookie. (laughs) A cookie is sweet and a cookie is made with sweetener, but we may also be craving something that's that's very nourishing and very wholesome in terms of like, you know, there, we, I have a recipe for um, like a baked carrot cake oatmeal that we make through the winter and there's very little maple syrup in it, but it's, it's so sweet from the flavor of the carrots that have basically, you know, sat in the root in the ground all, mm. you know, all through the fall. And they're just loaded with this amazing sugar. Um, and so that's, that's really delicious. Um, with respect to other flavors that we might crave during this time, because we're eating so many slow foods, having some balance and not only eating slow foods, but also eating foods that would kind of pick up our digestion is helpful. And pungent flavors, which are typically, typically come from um, like ginger and turmeric are both pungent, but also like chili peppers and other like really chili peppers and spicy foods are the, are the places we would get those hits. So Adding a little spice to the top of your pumpkin soup is a great idea because not only is that soup now grounding you down, but it's also keeping your digestive fire super hot, your metabolism strong. 
And so those are two of my favorite flavor, you know, flavor combinations in the season. And as we navigate through the seasons, different flavors inspire us and inspire our meals, even without us knowing it. So astringent flavors, um, which come from basically all raw green vegetables and most vegetables in general have astringent flavors. These aren't flavors that we're looking to bolster in this time because first of all, those vegetables aren't available to us. They're not growing right now, but also astringent flavors are helping our bodies to purge moisture. And right now we actually need moisture in our bodies to bolster against the cold. So eating too much salad <laughs> in this season is, is maybe not a great idea. <laughs> um, Sour flavors also help us to basically detoxify. So that comes from lemon and lime, predominantly lemon and lime, salty flavors, adding enough salt to our food that keeps us grounded, which also helps keep us hydrated in a very simple sense and keeps our lymph systems working properly. Um, I feel like the one flavor that, well, I think astringent is the hardest to crave. Like we don't really, I don't think we know that we crave astringent foods, but if you're a healthful person, and you like to eat quite healthfully, you inevitably crave a salad. And that actually, I think, is a, is a calling for an astringent taste. Um, bitter tastes, we all sort of know that because I mentioned persimmons before, if you bite into a persimmon that's not ripe, that tannic flavor that kind of coats your mouth or like a glass of very deep red wine that has a lot of tannins in it, that's, that's, a, that's a bitter flavor. Or, or depending on the type of grape, it could be an astringent flavor. Um, also, if I say each of those flavors has a, tells our bodies a very specific thing about the foods we're about to eat and the way that they impact us. And we can use them as a guide for building our meals together and obviously or layering flavors together. And obviously, the more tastes we incorporate, the more we benefit from all those foods and sort of recognizing that in different seasons when different flavors are available to us, that's usually what our bodies are wanting and needing. So when spring arrives, load up on the beautiful green salads and sour, you know, lemony dressings that go on top. And now in the wintertime, loading up on those sweet tastes from all, sweet flavors from all of the, you know, root vegetables that are available is the right thing to do. Yes, I agree. And the flavors really can act as such these like tuning forks for our energetic bodies, which I also find to be just so fascinating. And totally. Yeah. And one of the things I love to do that just kind of reminds me of what you were saying is like taste and build sauces and soups and stews that, um, you know, have the balance and we can kind of taste for it just by a simple, you know, spoonful and see yeah. what it needs. And it's one of my favorite um, ways of cooking is to you know, start with the basics and then taste and then add. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, it needs something sour. Okay, what is that? <laughs> or it needs something salty. What could that be? Or it needs something sweet because I added too much of this or, you know, to kind of balance it all out and kind of end up sculpting this flavor medley that mm -hmm. is what not only I'm craving in the moment, but usually coming from that seasonal perspective. It's such a fun mm -hmm creative way of cooking. So I'm really yeah. that. Well, it's so, in it's so interactive, right? I mean, we, again, as American cooks, we typically receive a recipe and we cook the recipe and then we taste it afterwards once we've loaded all the ingredients in. But, um, you know, that other piece of Ayurveda, which is knowing ourselves, like my taste buds may need something different than my partner's taste buds, something different than my neighbor's taste buds. And knowing the flavors of the foods available to us is, and also the flavors that we crave most and embracing those, those cravings, you know, like, uh, again, we've sort of vilified the sweet craving, right? Like, oh, that must mean I'm craving cake. Like I'm such a naughty person, or I'm really craving salt. And that must mean I want potato chips or French fries. And, and those are really very primal needs that we have and learning how to sate them and respond to them and honor them. Um, and doing that through cooking and tasting and, you know, the adventure of trying new ingredients and going like, oh, cool. Like, by the way, Umeboshi plum is very salty. <laughs> Let's throw it on. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and being able to being able to 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 experiment in that way. Yeah. It's it it's really empowering in the kitchen to know that you have all of the knowledge within you to create something delicious and nourishing and that no one has to give you that answer. It's it's totally within you and the key is just answering the cravings that your body has. Mm, I love that. I would also love to hear 
you know, it's interesting because a lot of what you're talking about coming from this very whole food based cooking and these very pure seasonal ingredients in the Ayurvedic tradition. Tell mm-hmm. me how you bring in your pastry cooking and pastry chef yeah. <laughs> into that in a way that yeah. accents it and adds to it, you know, because I do think mm-hmm. what you're saying, we have exactly what you said a moment ago, we have interesting stigmas around sweets and especially things yeah. like pastries. Um, yeah. And I know that, I know that you've been asked this before, I'm sure. And yeah. there's, a, there's a way <laughs> that you bring it all together in a beautiful, in a beautiful medley. Yeah, totally. Well, so the first thing is that um, people always ask how it is that I can not weigh 400 pounds and be a pastry chef. (laughs) And the answer is that once you, once everything is allowed on your plate, there's, um, or in your life, there's a lot less, um, urgency to eat it all, right? Like if I want a chocolate cake, I can make a chocolate cake tomorrow. I don't have to eat the chocolate cake that's in front of me today. And, and what I can have any cookie I want. So I'm going to make the cookie that I really want. And so that ultimately comes down to being discerning and um, really curating the ingredients that I want to use. You know, I said earlier that whatever we eat becomes us. And so not all cookies are created equal in my world, as it turns out. There's definitely a cookie that I know has been created with a ton of love and great ingredients. And there are definitely cookies out there that, that lack some of that. And uh, it has nothing to do with earning the cookie. It has nothing to do with it being a healthier cookie. It has everything to do with feeling really good about the decision that I'm making. And so let me say that like having made croissants a million times in my life, there's no way that you could make a croissant in my opinion, without a ton of love and attention and care. If you're making, you know, for myself or any baker here in town, you're layering so much goodness into that croissant. To eat it is sheer nourishment. (laughs) Not every day. (laughs) Not every day. And you wouldn't even want it every day. You know, if you allow yourself to have it every day, eventually you'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I want a bowl of oatmeal (laughs) instead of this croissant. So so my philosophy on, on pastry is that I bake often. I bake plentifully. I typically share what we bake because my partner and I are almost never going to finish an entire batch of cookies or a whole pie ourselves because tomorrow and the next day there's going to be something that's coming along. And I really strive to select really, really exceptional ingredients. So I know whatever I'm making is the best I can find. And that means using whole grain flours that are milled here locally. So it's not you know, nothing's been bleached, nothing's been stripped of its nutrients. It's all really, really wholesome. Um, you know, I buy the good butter. I am playing with sweeteners that are, first of all, organic, but also I do a lot. Inter- sweetener, sweetener is actually the biggest thing that people get stuck on because um, I, as a pastry chef, you basically recognize that granulated sugar has a place. Um, there are specific things that we do with it in a pastry kitchen that yield a specific result. For example, meringue can't be made with coconut sugar. It just doesn't work the same way because you have other ingredients in there that's been, that have been removed. And every once in a while I want meringue. So I use granulated sugar in meringue. Um, but otherwise I found it very easy to substitute with coconut sugar or with date powder, date sugar or maple or honey. And when it fits out, I use those ingredients as alternatives. Um, but then as an athlete, there's something interesting about using sweeteners in general and embracing sweeteners in your life. And that is that our bodies in motion, our, our bodies anyway, are basically taking every calorie and they're turning it into carbohydrates for us to use as energy. Sugar is a very direct carbohydrate. It's very easy for us to uptake. And actually with respect to hydrating, adding a small amount of sugar to our liquids makes it easier for us to upload electrolytes. So if you're working very hard, the best way to rehydrate quickly is to add a small amount of sugar or maple syrup or something to it. So embracing the fact that that's that's science, it's it's not just a guess and it's not just a sugar craving. It's a real like, this is me giving my body the best thing I can have. When I'm out on my bike or on a really long run or skiing all day, I see purpose in including those foods in moderation for the purpose of performance. And so if I'm on my bike and I crave a cookie, that's when I eat the cookie most often is that, you know, when I'm moving around a lot and 
as it turns out, if I eat a cookie when I'm out on my bike ride, I don't really crave a cookie when I come home. There's something else for me to eat. So the, so the nutshell is that it's definitely moderation. It's definitely the idea that everything is allowed on the plate. It's definitely ingredient curation and choosing really, really wisely the things I'm letting everything be. Everything is a possibility and there's no food group I've let out, I've excluded, but there's also a lot of food practices that I'm not willing to embrace. And picking the best of the best is, is the way that I pull it all together. Mm, I love that. I love everything is allowed on your plate. What a beautiful like relief for so <laughs> to hear that, you know, because I think yeah. we're just taught that we have to keep restricting and avoiding and moving away from. And what's interesting is when we fill our plate up with primarily seasonal whole foods, you know, a lot of our needs are met and we get satiated on a really deep level and there mm-hmm. isn't as many cravings for gummy bears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it really is shocking how that happens. I mean, I think like, you know, I've made, I've made an entire career out of creating dessert and there are rarely occasions when we really crave dessert around here. There's like, you know, a few things we keep on hand and there's cookies in the house usually for bike rides. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that that's true. And you know, that's okay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, when it's all okay and we can really listen to our true body's wisdom, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. that's a great navigational tool. I yeah. am curious to know of some of the most important ingredients that you always have in your house, especially with, you know, the diversity of cooking and baking that you do. Um, I would love to know like what your favorite ingredients are. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> this is so hard. I literally, ha- I am kind of an ingredient hoarder <laughs> and I love, I just love playing with new ingredients, but the things that are definitely always on hand are, um, I buy, the first thing I'm thinking about because we were just talking about dessert and sweets is I buy unsweetened chocolate in five pound bags. And that's our dessert around here, honestly, like, um, it's bitter. It's not, it's not sweet. Like you'd think of, you know, candy chocolate, like my partner calls it candy chocolate. Um, I eat it every day and I use it in all my baking. I use it in anytime I'm melting chocolate or adding chocolate to something. It's these beautiful unsweetened chocolate bars. I get them from a small purveyor in Park City. They're the best. Um, and so that's, that's a pretty crucial staple. Um, Malden salt is another staple. I sprinkle Malden salt on ev- literally everything that leaves my kitchen, whether it's toast or oatmeal or eggs, whatever. Um, I use a lot of coconut aminos, actually. Meals around here are pretty, you know, because I'm cooking all day, I'm not typically crafting a new meal for us for lunch or something along those lines. So I have a couple little hacks that I use and, and sometimes a sauce is literally just some uh, organic rice vinegar and coconut aminos over rice or to spice up a soup or something along those lines. Um, Brags, Brags and coconut aminos are two things I use often. Um, What else? I always have like a 50 pound bag of uh, locally milled whole grain all-purpose flour on hand that I buy from the from the seed and feed up the street from us uh, because I do do a lot of baking and um, I just am petrified that the grocery store well the grocery store doesn't carry this so and I never want to be able to not bake and I bake bread for us weekly so um, so that's a really that's something that's always around and lives in our pantry closet <laughs> um, Butter, ghee, ghee is on hand all the time. I make ghee every single week and sometimes more than that if I need to. So I use, um, I use cultured butter and cook it down and that's on hand all the time. And it gets dolloped on, again, on everything spread on toast and um, what else? That paints a pretty good pastry chef picture, mm-hmm. flour, ghee, <laughs> sweetened chocolate. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I keep a pretty hearth, healthy pantry of like, um, I buy beans in bulk and buy grains in bulk. We eat a lot of um, vegetarian-based meals, but also um, we eat meat as well. We, we eat animal proteins when they come locally, but um, it just keeps things really simple because I'm always swapping in, you know, it's bean, beans and grains are a very simple and very, co- you know, um, complex and complete meal and they happen really quickly. So 
um, it's always fun to see kind of like what I pull out of the pantry, like, oh, cool, I've never played with these before. Let's make something with yellow-eyed <laughs> cannelli beans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a great uh, go-to meal to have those things on hand for sure. And there's so many ways to, you know, add flavor and add finishing touches to them when we're creating them. I sure. had two teenage boys at home for a long time. Now they're both just, you know, recently out of the house, but having grains and legumes around when they were <laughs> always hungry and their friends were always hungry was one of those things I was always like, this is the key to raising teenagers is <laughs> you have to yeah. have <laughs> pots of grains and pots of beans. And both my kids love like the traditional Costa Rican gallo pinto type food. Yeah, <laughs> so to be, like, good. So like grateful that I could have stocks of that for when their friends showed up in like packs of 10. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> great staple for sure. Yeah. I would love to hear a little bit about your cookbook that's coming and you have so yeah. many amazing philosophies and recipe ideas. And I love your kind of take on food. It's so aligned mm. with mine and I'd love to hear about your cookbook. What a great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, the cookbook is, I think when I left kitchens way back when, um, I think what I ultimately wanted to do was write a cookbook. So it's a real honor to finally be able to do it. It will be published in fall of 2021 from Roost and Random House. And um, and it's crazy how long it takes to write a cookbook. <laughs> um, I'm sure. Definitely. Like, it's like having a child, only you could actually have two children in the amount of time that it takes <laughs> to write a cookbook. But um, the book is geared towards um, energetic, athletically minded people. It's all about fueling our bodies for whatever life throws at us from an intuitive and real food perspective. It infuses a lot of um, the themes that we've talked about this afternoon um, in there about navigating flavors as fuel, about listening to cravings, and also recognizes that, um, you know, for better or for worse, kind of like whole food cooking in air quotes often seems like a really time consuming process that most of us are unable to hack in our modern lives. And so this, you know, the book recognizes that anyone who has athletic goals or, you know, or professional goals or a family also is really short on time and that it's absolutely possible to create vibrant, beautiful, seasonal, real food meals in not a lot of time. And um, that leaves more opportunity for adventure. Mm, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited. It's a, the team that's putting, you know, myself and then our photographer is based here in Colorado. Um, <clears throat> she's worked predominantly in the outdoor and adventure industry. So we're going to basically take an, take an approach to shooting these beautiful recipes with adventure in mind. So I can't wait to see it all come together. No, that yeah. sounds like such an amazing like marriage of your passions. What a great, what a great project. Yeah, it's definitely a magnum opus. <laughs> so I know that's going to be a little while and that that's still in the works as far as coming together um, for the final, you know, piece in the fall. Mm -hmm. So, and I know people are going to want to find out how they can get their hands on some of your delicious recipes before that. So tell us about your recipe club. Yeah. So I, um, I just actually yesterday launched a little recipe club. It's basically a newsletter that gets dropped into your inbox once a week. And um, I started the club because I recognized that it, through these, you know, these crazy pandemic times, we're all cooking more often, but um, we all, you know, also being able to have a community that, circles around cooking really beautiful seasonal food, especially this perspective in um, kind of like the sport and outdoor worlds. You know, everyone's looking for more information about how to eat better and live better. And we also want that to bolster our well-being. And um, there wasn't a cookbook or a recipe club out there like that. So I decided to start one. So you can follow it. Um, you can join the club at patreon.com backslash Lentine Alexis. It's just my first and last names mashed together. 
Um, and every week you'll get an in, you'll get a recipe dropped into your inbox, and there'll be other cool stuff too. Like I work with quite a few really interesting partners in the food space, and so we're crafting some cool ideas to do giveaways and product discounts and collaborative cooking classes and um, some other things that will just help diffuse together these sport and food worlds. <laughs> yeah, and then I also sprinkle things all over Instagram, so you can follow me at at Lentine Alexis on Instagram. And um, there are other places where my recipes and work show up, but those are the two places that I fix it on most. And um, that's where you'll find the freshest goodies. Awesome. Well, it has been such a total joy to have you today. Mm -hmm. and I feel Thank you. Re-inspired to go into my kitchen, <laughs> and make something fun. And, awesome. you know, just to kind of honor the season, which I know at this time of year, it can be a little daunting as the, you know, light dims and the weather gets colder. And there's also just something really magical about that yeah. kind of inward grounded, cozy space that we can create for ourselves, both in our lives and in our cooking and in our eating. So thanks yeah. for the, thanks for reigniting my winter cooking passions and my pleasure yeah that's what it's all about right like really it's it's not about the thing we're creating it's about the intention that we're bringing when we're doing it so yeah let that yes. be the good fuel beautiful well it's been a pleasure having you and i will link up all of your great stuff for our listeners in the show notes and awesome we'll go from there so thank you thank you so much sue what a pleasure i'm so honored Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Satiate today. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support in cultivating all the health and happiness that you so deserve. Thank you so much for being part of the Boulder Nutrition Community.